Values define how we live, how we act, and how we think. But how can we maintain our Christian values in a world that is constantly at odds with the biblical values we are called to live by? When we allow the nature of God to resonate in our heart, it causes us to change the way we live. We will begin to show irrational grace and experience exponential growth both personally and corporately. Our desire will be to be part of authentic groups, and when we gather, it will be with enthusiasm. We will be generous in our giving, using the gifts we have identified for His glory. We will be obedient in our call to go, constantly glorifying God in all that we do. This sounds like a fulfilling way to live our lives, but are we willing to allow our heart to resonate with Christ to see this happen? Good morning, everyone. It's really wonderful for to be here with us in person. Uh, for those that are watching online, a very special welcome to you. And I, we're in a series called Resonate. And I, I've been three weeks now, this is our third week into the series, and I've, I've been wanting this gong. And I've been praying. Get it on my microphone. I could get, we could keep praying, we, get, we might get a... I'm going to sit this here because I think this is really important. All right. That probably has zero to do with what I want to share with you today, but the idea of resonate and, and as we listen to a gong sound, resonate is, the word resonate literally means to go on and to affect the way that we live. When we say something resonates with us, we're saying that it affects us in such a way that it changes the way that we not only think and act, but the way that we live our lives in general. Last week, we spoke about the idea of growth. And the very first point of last week uh, for the observant and those that were remembering uh, was, yes, you got it, true repentance. And uh, you were all ready to do that. And um, that's for the benefit of you watching online, no one answered. And uh, so true repentance and understanding what true repentance is, when we talk about when we are repentant, we sometimes confuse the idea of repentance and sorry. And they're different. In fact, sorry is part of the process of repentance, but it's not full or true repentance. And last week we saw that when we are repentant, repentance leads to uh, the way that we think, the way that we act, the way that we feel. And when we get to the feeling part of it, that's when we're sorry, because I feel sorry. And we get that we're sorry we got caught out, or we may be genuinely sorry we've hurt somebody or so upset people in, in some things, but that's a feeling. But when we talk about repentance, we're moving beyond the feeling to actually changing our values around this idea. When something resonates with us, you, we take it on board and it changes our values, which then in turn will change the way that we live our lives. So when we are repentant, our lives have to change. They cannot, our life cannot go on the way that it was before and, and, when we, and then we repent. That doesn't make any sense. True repentance. 
That's where we were last week when we were talking about growth. Spiritual growth uh, leads to a lot of things in our life. And uh, so we've looked at God's irrational grace. Irrational in the sense that it clearly does not make sense why God would extend grace to us to allow us into his presence, into his kingdom, when we have ignored him and disobeyed him and in many cases just not even thought about him anything. But it, why would God allow us or want us into his kingdom? Grace. His, it's irrational for us. But because God gave us or, or has given us this free gift of grace and we receive that grace, the right response for us would be to give that grace. So as a Christian, as someone who has received the grace, the free gift of eternal life through the, through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we receive the grace, the response that we should have is that our lives change as a result of that so that we will then be able to demonstrate and show grace to other people. And by the way that you love them, the scriptures tell us, they will know that you, we are Christians by the way that we love and their grace that has been extended. So irrational grace. Uh, last week we looked at our growth. Today I want to take a look at authentic groups because I think this is really the next step as we go through. If we, we've received the grace and we know that through grace Jesus comes in, the Holy Spirit begins to impact or should impact our life, and then we, we desire to grow, the best place to grow, I believe, is through the body of Christ, gathering together. We can do it on our own, but there's something significantly different when we can gather together in groups. And we'll talk about that today. Growth always happens on the incline. I said that last week. And by what, I'm, what I mean about that is we typically grow more when we're put under pressure. Uh, it, most of you would testify, if you've ever done anything like Sunday school teaching or RAI teaching or, or been put in a position where you've got to teach others, you typically could say, and I, for me it was the same when way back early times I was doing RE classes um, on a weekly basis regularly, grade sixes and sevens when they were still in primary school. And I, I learned so much because I had to be able to teach it and, and talk to these others, uh, young children, about the idea of, of these, some of these bloodthirsty stories in the Old Testament and getting kings mixed up. And I remember before that, I used to confuse when you go through the book of Kings, it talks it changes between Judah and, and, and um, the Israel, Israel. So this king lived in this. You think, where in the world am I? R.I. did that for me as I started to teach that. It began to equip me. And we grow more when we're put under pressure. Growth happens on the incline. So if you are serious about growth, and I would suggest most of us are, then we will want to put ourselves or allow ourselves to be put into places where we are going to be required to teach or to grow. If we are serious about our spiritual growth, that's where it happens. Small groups have been the basis, I believe, for changing lives since the beginning of time. The very first small group, and that was by necessity, Adam, Eve, and God. 
Now, you might argue that that wasn't really a, a true small group, and maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but communion happened in that intimacy. And right through, you can look through the Old Testament, there's these little pictures of groups that God worked with. And he selected people, even when the Israelites uh, were walking through the wilderness, he selected out groups of people. And they came down to smaller groups and smaller groups until we get to the New Testament. The small group community is the heart and core in many respects of spiritual growth for us if we are serious about growing. I'm not taking away personal study because that is important but when we can get together and we can gather together and we can start to discuss stuff then it becomes something a little bit more important small groups are not just some passing fad that, that some and i've read that in many books that it's going to pass at some point that's been going on for like 40 years it's like some songs in fact um we just sang a shout to the lord before did anyone notice the date it was or the year it came out I did. It's nearly 30 years old, that song. 1993. That's crazy. Because some of you, like me, can remember when it was new. And that's scary. But here we are still singing it. There are some things that, that click and that it's not just a passing fad. There have been lots of songs that have come and gone in that period of time, but some don't. And I would suggest to you that the word of God uh, happens, the effective way that it gets passed on is within the context of small groups. And it was when the New Testament came along that we see the significance of what happened in small groups. They began to take effect when Jesus chose 12 men to walk alongside of him. And then out of that 12 men, he really focused in on three men, a group of four effectively. And the disciples learned the ways of Jesus so well, so well that when eventually he was taken up to be with his father in heaven, they were able to teach others all the things that he had taught them. That's what he, God, or Jesus commanded them to do in Matthew 28. Go into the world and tell others everything that you have been taught, making disciples of them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the disciples eventually were quite faithful in that. But in Acts chapter 1, Jesus actually said to, or says to them, don't go yet, but wait. Wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. But when the Holy Spirit comes, when that power comes, then you are to get out and go. The power of testimony and the power of the Word of God comes through the Holy Spirit within us. And we need to recognise that we need to study the word, we need to understand, and part of the way we understand that is the small group context. Last week I read Acts 2, uh, 41 to 47, something like that we picked, but verse 42, it's been a favourite verse of mine for many, many years. In fact, way back when I was um, in my early 30s, maybe late 20s, somewhere around there, I, I put together a youth curriculum. It's got four books, study books that we worked, that I put together, and I called it Club 242. 
And it was for our youth at that point in time who were, were keen to get into the word of God based on Acts 2.42, Club 2.42. And we met weekly in small groups. In fact, at one point we had seven small groups of young people meeting in the Christian school on a Wednesday afternoon. And it was amazing. Growth was happening. A lot of things happened in the meantime. Since then, it doesn't exist anymore. But groups happened. Acts 2.42 seems to be this list that we get when we read through it. It gives us sort of an agenda of what they used to do in the early church. Is that um, the list includes things like teaching, the, or they learned and studied the apostles' teaching. They, they fellowshiped together. They broke bread together. And they prayed together. Where did they meet? They met, the church met in homes. And I can tell you that the, just the context of that probably means that the churches weren't thousands of people, but much smaller groups of people. And it was not just one home. In fact, we read of Priscilla and Aquila in 1 Corinthians 16. It says, the churches of Asia, it's Paul writing to Corinthian church, the churches of Asia greet you, Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. They had a church meeting in their house. We read of Nymphus in Colossians. Greet the brethren who in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church that is in his house. They met through their houses. And there was another time in Acts chapter 12, which I want to look at more intently a little bit today, which is one place where the group was meeting and they were meeting in Mary's house. And that's where we're going to pick up the story in Acts chapter 12. She was the mother of John Mark. That may ring a bell with you. We'll get into it a little bit later. But we, we pick up the story in verse 5. But what happened? Herod the king, he's got it in for these Christians. And he had just had um, uh, James, the brother, brother of John, put to death. He'd, he'd had him killed. And he said, and the scriptures tell us that he saw how much joy this brought the Pharisees and the religious leaders. So he then arrested Peter and Peter's in jail and his end was probably going to be the same. That was the intent. They, they thought if he could get rid of Peter, then all of this nonsense of Christian living would disappear. But what happens in Acts chapter 12, verse 5, it says, Peter was therefore kept in prison because he'd been arrested by Herod. But, but, constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his feet and his hands. And the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know what was done by the angel was real. He was th thought he was dreaming. He thought it was a vision. He thought he was seeing a vision. And when they got past the first and the second guard post, they came to the iron gate, 
that leads to the city which opened up to them all by themselves, all of their own accord. And they went out and went down the street, down one street, and immediately at that point, the angel departed from him. That's kind of an amazing story. Then Peter seems to come out of this little what's going on moment. He, it says in, in verse 11, when Peter had come to himself, that means when he finally got his head together, he said, now I know for certain that the Lord sent his angel and he has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. <clears throat> and as Peter knocked on the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came out to answer. And when she, uh, you chuckle at this, I chuckle at this. When she, when she recognised Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she didn't open the gate. So, she, so Peter's outside knocking on the gate and, and she says, who is it? It's Peter. Ah! I can just imagine that moment. But rather than opening the gate, it says this, um, she didn't open the gate, but ran back and said, Peter's standing at the door. And look what happens. But they said to her, you're beside yourself. In other words, you're crazy woman. Yet she kept insisting that it was so, and so they said it must be his angel. They concluded that Herod had already beheaded him, and now this was his angel that was at the gate. And now Peter is still standing outside, and he's still knocking. Sore knuckles and all. And when they eventually opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Which begs the question, what were they really praying for? Or did they really believe the prayer they were praying? But anyway, we'll get to that. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent because they were just going crazy, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison and he said, go and tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. So Peter just caused this emotion and commotion in Mary's house and then just dis disappears again. Uh, the story gets better. If you want to read through in Acts chapter 12 and continue reading, Herod's just beside himself when he gets to the prison in the morning to collect him. He's gone. And the guards don't even know why. It, it's an amazing story. But here's point number one. If you're filling out sermon notes, there's a blank at the end of this first thing that says, authentic groups give context for corporate prayer. They, they give us the opportunity for corporate prayer. The group that we're talking about here in this place, we don't know the numbers. It's, it could be quite a lot of people. It says the number was large. They were meeting for prayer in Mary's house and they were praying for Peter and, and probably other believers as well. It's likely that they were asking God for protection on Peter. They may not have been asking for his release, but I'm sure if... if we were thinking about it, a likely prayer would be that God would spare Peter, protect Peter, watch over Peter in the church and the other believers that were in line for the, what was going on with Herod. But when Peter knocks at the door, they think it's his ghost. They think he's already been killed by Herod. And so there's they, I wonder what they were really thinking. It seems they didn't even really have the faith at that moment 
to really believe their, faith, their prayers could be answered. So, perhaps the first question today, does that mean that if we have a lack of faith, that God is not going to answer our prayers? And you should be able to answer that one very quickly. Is God at work even when our faith is little? Absolutely he is. And so when we ask God and we say, oh, well, I, I, we need to be praying for such and such, or we need to be praying, I can't pray because you're closer to God than me, so he'll listen to you more. I'll tell you something. Uh, the scriptures tell us that when God's people humble themselves and pray, not when the pastors humble themselves and pray, not when the leadership humbles themselves and pray, but when God's people humble themselves and pray and turn from their wickedness and seek his face, then he will hear their prayers. When God's people humble themselves, we all have the ability to pray. And God will hear our prayers. God is at work despite our lack of faith at times. And it's likely they, the group in Mary's house, maybe they didn't even feel God's presence in the room at that point in time. Maybe it was just they were praying. Meeting for prayer over the current situation that was right before them. And God always, I believe this with all my heart, that God always answers the earnest prayer of his people. We might not always get the answer we want, but he always answers our prayers. And as we go through the book of Acts, we find that this was a regular occurrence, not the Peter thing, but the, the meeting together and the prayer that was taking place. They met in people's homes for worship. That included the study of, the, of God's word, of the apostles' teaching. They met in people's homes for fellowship and for, for sharing of food and communion. And they met in people's homes for prayer. And when they came to understand that, very early on in their, their, the early church start, they recognised the importance of prayer and the experience that that will have in the community. And it's, corporate prayer is not something that we can really do on our own. We can pray on our own, but there is power when God's people come and agree and pray together corporately. And small groups give us a very good context for that to take place or a place way to take place when we pray corporately. And as we grow in Christ, talked about that last week, we need to recognise one of the most important ways that we can grow is, is to meet in our groups, small groups. Prayer is absolutely essential. It gives us the opportunity to pray. The problem is that Often our prayers are tacked on to the end after we've had this whole big discussion for the night. We think, oh, we've got 10 minutes. Let's, let's finish off with prayer and, and, and move on. Or we do a quick prayer at the beginning and then we think, oh, well, we haven't got time. We don't do any more than that. Prayer typically is like that. But it shouldn't be. Why do you think that is? 
I think one of the reasons that happens is because I believe Satan knows how important prayer is and he will keep us, our minds busy and the conversation taking place, no matter how relevant or irrelevant it is, that we do not spend time in prayer. And we don't even have to have a lot of faith in the answers of those prayers. And God will is at work. That's why praying as a group is so important. It's not just the prayer that happens, it's the fellowship, it's the, the encouragement that comes along with, the support, the opportunity to share and pray corporately carries with it this common purpose that, when we, that we gather in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's really not that we can't do these things individually, but when people, God's people come together, we pr prayer is powerful and effective. Groups give us the context to be able to do that. And I think everyone would like to think that they were better in their prayer life. I've never spoken to anyone who says, oh, I, have the mo I, don't, I don't need to improve my prayer life at all. I've never spoken to someone like that. All of us, if we're honest, would probably think that we probably could do better in the area of prayer. And one of the best ways that that can be helped or encouraged and generated is to be part of an authentic small group community where we can encourage one another to do that. Number two, authentic groups give context for growth. That's the underlying word, growth. What do you think happened when, or to the faith of the group that met in Mary's house when they eventually realised that Peter was there? What do you think might have happened to their faith when they've been praying this night and probably for other times as well, but this night particularly they're praying for Peter's safety, his protection, that God would look, watch over him and, and out of the blue, it seems, God shows up. Peter shows up, but God shows up. What do you think that might have done to their faith? I'm absolutely confident their faith would have increased tenfold that night. I'm not suggesting that God will answer our prayers in the same way that he answered that prayer. But I am suggesting that in the context of growth, groups, growth happens. That our faith increases. And again, just as I said, most of us would probably say that we, we, our prayer life is not where it should be. That if I ask most of you guys and, and anyone else watching online at the moment, if I asked you, do you want to grow spiritually, your, your answer would likely be yes. That's what we want to do. We want to grow spiritually. Right, uh, Proverbs 27, 17 says, as, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. When we gather together, we sharpen up each other. And that's exactly what happens in the context of group meetings, in the context of a group discussion. Theories are put to the discussion. Questions and doubts can, should be able to be talked about openly, without fear, without question. 
Scripture passages can be studied and discussed and openly. And as a result, we will begin to grow spiritually. We may not always agree with each other on those things. But that's okay because I believe God will show us what's right in due time. But it will be the time where, I said right at the start, growth happens on the incline when we are finding ourselves struggling with those things and we start to discern some of those things. Growth happens. And small groups are a wonderful place. Authentic small groups are a wonderful place for that kind of discussion. And they will cause us to dig deeper into the word of God, to develop our own convictions on what we stand for and why we do what we do. God will be our judge. Our understanding grows. And as we study and meet together and grow in wisdom and stature, experiences will begin to shape our, our relationships. And our relationships will become more natural with, ourselves, with each other in, in the context of groups. And the more natural we become in our group, the more open we will become and the deeper we will begin to grow. Small groups, authentic small groups, give good context for the opportunity for growth. The other part of that is, spiritually speaking, it seems really hard for me that spiritual growth seems to be that it doesn't really happen naturally. We, it's left to our own devices. We, do, we typically don't grow spiritually. It has to be a choice we make. It has to be a decision. It has to be a conviction of the heart where God places it on our heart, you, we, I really need you. I, I have a purpose for you. I have a role for you. And that's how it was. I can remember a very distinct day, and I've shared it many times with you, and I don't want to go into details, but when God called me into ministry, the very first part of that was I was sitting, not in this church, but in the front row of the church I was sitting in. And I remember hearing the pastor preach from, from the book of Titus. I can't remember what he spoke, but I do remember God speaking to me saying, you need to prepare yourself for study. And I said to Karen afterwards, I said, well, I've got to do this. And she said, what for? And I, you've heard the rest of that story many, many times. She didn't ever want to become a pastor's wife and I never want to become a pastor. But I knew God had called me and he was telling me what he was requiring of me to do. Growth had to happen. Now, I, I, I'm not a good student in, in saying that. I don't like study. And I, I, so much so, I didn't even finish grade 12. I found a job in June of my grade 12 year and I left. My teachers didn't believe that I would do it, but I did. And I proved them wrong. Stick it out, guys. Don't quit. But I want you to hear what I'm really trying to say is that spiritual growth doesn't happen naturally, but when God calls us, I believe he will draw us into that presence and the context of small groups, that happens amazingly. And even though growth happens in the context of groups, we, we tend to, we know that, but we, what we do is tend to isolate ourselves 
from the group when we don't feel like we want to catch up with people, when we don't feel like talking with others, when we're tired or we're struggling, struggling spiritually or not coping in some way, the first thing we typically do is to say, oh, you know, I just can't be bothered. And we don't go. And yet that community of people, that small group community of people, is probably the very place we need to be. But we don't. We stop being part of the group for a little while and it become, we fill that time up. It's easier not to go. If you don't go for a long time, you can justify it. Well, I've missed that many. It doesn't matter anymore. And suddenly we're not doing it. It's easier, we find, at that point not to confront those problems than it is to answer the questions that might be fired back at us. What if they start asking me questions that I don't really want to answer? What if someone says something and, and you know, it makes me cringe? But growth happens on the incline. Growth happens when difficulties, when we're living through difficulties. And sometimes the incline is being able to share in those times with others in the context of a small group. And small groups are the place where disagreements will happen as well. I would hope that we can come through the disagreements part of it, but disagreements will probably happen if we are to grow properly. But those are the times of spiritual growth. And it even happened in the scriptures, in Luke 9, there was the disciples, probably one of the best small, or the first small groups, certainly of the New Testament, a dispute arose among them as to which one of them would be the greatest. The small group had an argument. So don't think everyone is going to agree in your group and some motives might actually be wrong in why people are there, but that's not your problem, not my problem. Just because there are differences of opinion, there's no reason not to be part of a group. Uh, the motive for going to that group is sometimes a problem. If our, goal, if our goal in going to this group is so we can change everything, maybe our motive needs to be re-examined. But if our goal is to grow and, allow, and be willing to be changed as well, that's a whole different question. What happened when these disciples argued about who was going to be the greatest? Well, the next verse goes on. It says, And Jesus was there, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a little child and sent, set him by him and said to them, Whoever receives this little child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you will be the greatest. Jesus was giving a little life lesson at this moment in time. There was spiritual growth happening with the disciples over this completely unrelated argument. If you want to be great, you need to make yourself small. It's not about big noting ourselves. It's not about that. You can argue about that, but Jesus took the opportunity for spiritual growth. Being part of a group is the most important and one of the most excellent habits that we can make if we are serious about our spiritual growth. From a, from a Methodist Wesleyan uh, perspective, uh, John Wesley gave the people of his day the opportunity to be part of the fellowship. He called them class meetings. They were generally no more than 12 people. 
but they had high accountability. There was an expectation. In, in fact, there was a, at one point in time, you couldn't even become a member of the church unless you were part of, your mem- uh, part of a small group. And if you missed your small group twice in a row without a good reason, and a good reason was you were dead or dying, you were, your membership of the church was cut. And that, we look at that and think, how dare they do that? But what happened in those times was that it changed the entire society. Alcoholism, which was rife at the culture, declined. Sickness declined. Education increased. Everything changed. Society changed absolutely 180 degrees from where it was. And credit is given to the Wesleys for the things that changed England at that particular point in time. And after the words... George Whitfield was also preaching along with the, the uh, Wesleys and he was a preaching partner, outdoor stuff. And his observation was this. He says, my brother Wesley acted wisely. The souls that were awakened, those that received Jesus Christ under his ministry, he put into classes, class meetings, and preserved their fruits of his labour. This, he says, I neglected George Whitfield. I neglected, and my people are a rope of sand. That's what he recognised. It was the class meetings that held them together. Being part of a small group is, I believe, one of the single most important habits that we can put into our life. Let's finish off this with the last one. Authentic groups give context for fellowship. One of the, most, uh, one of the things that we missed most, I think we that was most missed across our church and many churches when we were put into lockdown was the inability to, to meet together, to fellowship together. And it was a long time before we were able to have food together. Meeting together was one thing, but I, I heard comments after comments after comments from you people who say, well, when can we have food? When we can get back to what we were doing? When can we fellowship like we once did? It was constant. Not that I minded you asking me those things, but there was little we could do. We, we crave fellowship. And the larger a church grows numerically, the more intentional we need to be about fellowship, intimate, uh, those things. Groups is where we, that can't come from. That's why it's important that our family camp, we're in the middle of a family camp. It's, it's about relationship and fellowship we do these things, not to take up your time, not to make it hard for you, not to make you broke. The reason we want these things to happen is because we realise and recognise that when we gather together, fellowship is so important. And authentic groups give context for that. That's why we have family fun days from time to time. I, I love the church getting together in family fun days. Sometimes I don't want to go, but that's my problem, not anything else. Some the nights where we once were upon a time, once upon a time we had night stuff with trivia nights and, and all of those sorts of things. Fellowship is so important. It's not about so much what we have done in those contexts, it's the fellowship of the believers. Don't give up meeting together. 
Acts 2.42, read it before or quoted it before. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And in the context of fellowship, spiritual growth was happening. And when we accept the grace, the irrational grace that God has offered to us and receive Jesus Christ into our life, we do, we can't help but grow spiritually. And I have to admit, there's been times where I, it would have been easier, where as, even as the pastor, there are some times I think it would be really good if a small group wasn't on tonight. And I know you've thought that too. Sometimes it's in your house. You think, oh, I have to go home and clean up. I'm going to running late. Can I just say something? If that happens to you, let your small group clean your house. Don't be embarrassed. Invite them around for fellowship. Enjoy it. But I can also say when I've gone, despite how I feel, I, I, I think without question that when I've gone, even feeling like I didn't want to, without question, I always come away blessed because of the fellowship that we have. Always come away blessed. Always. I usually, I'm, I have a couple of groups that I go to, but the Wednesday night group is the furthest away from my home. And I usually give Karen a quick call when I've left to say I'm on my way home because so, we have dinner after I get home and she starts putting things ready. And usually it's like, this, she'll, the question is usually when I get home, how, how was your group tonight? The other group she's part of. I can honestly say it's, it's, it's amazing to be part of a small group. My Tuesday night group, there are times when it's just a very small, tight group, but it's just the best place to be. And I thank you for those times because iron sharpens iron just as a friend sharpens a friend. The love Christians have for one another influences each other. John 13, 35 says, By this... The significance of fellowship we're talking about and love. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That happens within the context of small groups. Easy. It happens other ways too. But it's really simple in the context of groups. Give us, groups give us the opportunity to pray together, to share together, Christian fellowship together, spiritual growth. And many aspects of our spiritual life depend on us being together so that we can grow and encourage one another, teach one another, serve one another, share life together with one another. And they happen really simply within the context of that. God's irrational grace received by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ we receive the Holy Spirit, the, the desire in us. The scriptures tell us that he changes the heart of stone to a heart of flesh and we begin to grow. And if we are serious about growth, and most of us would have to answer yes to that, I'm confident of that. One of the most beneficial things that we could do is to be involved in that. I can promise you that. It's extremely important that we 
fellowship with one another. And one of the primary reasons that we emphasise being an active member of, of our church is that we'll have fellowship with one another. And through the fellowship, we begin to grow exponentially. You'll have people who will pray for you. You'll have people you can pray for. You, there will be people in your group that will begin to hold you accountable as you open up and as you share and you can trust, helping you through difficulties because we're all going to experience those things, helping us to get through those difficulties, giving perspective for some of the decisions that you need to make in your life and I need to make. Church is more than just a Sunday service. It's a living organism. It's, it's the body of Christ with, with God the Father as the head over all. Jesus Christ, the head of the church. And as long as all the parts of the body are connected in the right way, in the right place, we will begin to work in perfect unison so long as we keep our eyes fixed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. What if, what if Christians started to have some more intelligent, less consumeristic, orientated, deeper conversations with people? What if we talked spiritual conversations? What if? That can happen when we meet together. What if our relationship with God were to deepen? How would that impact on the decisions that you have to make this week? What if you were able to, to discern the voice of God and know his direction in the very big decision that you've got to make this week? What if our relationship with Christ was so grounded, so deeply in the character of God and less in the constantly shifting circumstances of our world? What if our convictions were deeply embedded in, in the word of God. What if? I think we'd be dangerous. I think God would get the glory. I think we would begin to see the power of God begin to work in our community. I think the church would grow spiritually that the body of Christ would grow numerically and we would see evidence and people would begin to be impacted by the power of God in our lives. Being part of an authentic group means that we study the word, we fellowship, we share meals together, we have communion and we pray. And it's perhaps one of the most significant principles the early church counted on, which I believe is a principle that we can have in our culture and should have. So, let me pray. If you're not part of a group and you believe you should be or are able to be, uh, please talk to me. I mean, this is not a guilt trip. I don't want you to feel pressured into coming into part of a group, but I want you to see that serious growth can happen when we start to talk together. Not just jump onto the internet to find out our answers. Let me pray. Father, I know that you are at work today. 
I know that you have a desire to see us grow exponentially, spiritually. Father, your word teaches us that we should be growing in wisdom and stature, in favour with you and with men. We want to be able to do that, Father, and, and we recognise the significance of, of how you used your disciples in teaching them or have the, the opportunity for group to teach and equip and train. The lessons they learned, they were able to pass on to others after you're taken back, Lord Jesus. Help us, Father, to be faithful with that ministry, to be able to, to teach others what has been taught to us to be able to replicate ourselves in that way, to be able to help others know you. Father, I pray that the word of God would resonate deep into our spirit, that we couldn't help but live the way that you call us to live. So, Father, I pray today, may your name be honoured. Help us to bring glory to you in the way that we live, to gather together, and to be sensitive to your leading every step that we take. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.